Training camp is finally upon us, which means the first whiffs of real football hang in the air. And for the Seahawks, the topic at the forefront of most people's minds is the quarterback situation. We flirted with it all summer, but we're ready to dive in as we welcome the Football Outsiders QB guru Derek Klassen in to discuss that, the tight ends, and more as we wrap up our positional breakdown series. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my upwardly mobile producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling good, feeling good. Just trying to ride coattails left and right, Jackson. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. My coattails are feeling a little heavy, though. Yeah, well, you know, I'm happy to weigh you down a little bit. What's going on, man? <laughs> oh, man, I'm I'm good. We're we're inching towards real football. I mean, training camp is here. And even though both you and I feel like it's mostly a no news is good news situation, and that's really easy to say in May and June, it's still kind of exciting to have the whole team there and officially getting ready for the upcoming season. The expectations are relatively lower than they have been in past years, obviously. The quarterback situation, which we will touch on heavily throughout this episode, um, is a bit different. And, you know, there's uh, always the potential in those circumstances for surpassing those lowered expectations. Totally. And 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 for what it's worth, I've got I've got money on them doing just that. I, I honestly, though, you know, would I rather have Russell Wilson here? Yeah. Yes. Team is better, more interesting, all of that. But there is is something refreshing about the reset that's happening. And I, and I say this with a multi-year view. You know, if you're just looking at 2022, it's it's a bit of a bummer. But you know, the the relationship and the just all the extra stuff that we've had to talk about regarding Wilson and the team and the coach and ownership and the future and all that stuff, it was getting kind of stale. And and now it's like all right. Is the short-term outlook as good? Certainly not. Is the long-term outlook more exciting? I think it kind of is. It's definitely more exciting. And if there's one person to have at the helm for an experiment such as this, that's going to make it a bit more fun. I'm excited that it's going to be Pete. So I kind of am too. With that, all I'll leave you with is Let's ride. <laughs> oh, fuck you, man. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I've spent many minutes on this podcast and lots of words in my articles talking about how you got to choose Russ over Pete. But now that the franchise has made the opposite decision, I kind of see why. And if you are going to move on from Russ, I don't think you just bring in someone new and try and rebuild an entire brand new culture. I mean... We've seen Pete Carroll do it already really, really well. I mean, he essentially took over, you know, a a team that was rudderless and built a borderline dynasty. So I'm, I'm with you, man. And, you know, quarterbacks are the dominant topic of conversation for many teams. But in Seattle, it's a different kind of chat than than it's been in a long time. For a decade, the Seahawks have had one of the surest bets in the league taking snaps, but that's no longer the case. 
I know we've touched on it a fair bit since the Russell Wilson trade happened, but we're finally going to cannonball into the subject with one of the more insightful voices on the position. You may know him from his precocious work with football outsiders and or on Twitter. He is Derek Klassen. Derek, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, glad to be here. I am uh, finally recovered from a trip to Vegas, so you guys are catching me right on the, on the upswing. It was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> good, man. Well, I got to say, we, we had your name circled months ago when we were setting up our positional breakdown series, so we're real excited to have you. How did you develop your interest and approach regarding the QB position? Uh, Well, so I started back in like 2014, I think, um, towards the end of, of when I was getting done with high school, and I just kind of did more NFL draft stuff generally, but just as I did it over the you know, first couple of years or whatever, I just realized that quarterbacks were the most fun. So I just kind of started to chart them, um, both college guys, some NFL guys. I realized the NFL guys took longer. It took more energy just because <clears throat> generally they just play more games and more snaps. So it was kind of hard to get a full season for them and to do it for all 32 guys. Um, but just generally, I kind of took the approach that way. So I would just look up clinics and, you know, if there were quarterback coaches on Twitter, just stuff like that. It just kind of I don't know. It just seemed like the most fascinating and like all encompassing position. I think that's actually the, the aspect of it that interested me the most is that it's all encompassing. Like they, they, I mean, they're the only guy that touches the ball every play. I mean, technically the center, but like they're the only one that is like facilitating everything. And I think that's, just, it just makes it a really fascinating position. Was there one quarterback that kind of pushed you to fall in love with being so obsessive about watching the position? Um, that one is hard. I will say, I think, I don't know about necessarily being more interested in the position, but I will say, I think a quarterback that kind of shaped what I think is the perfect quarterback was Andrew Luck. Like just watching his early career was like, man, this this is a literal perfect player that is just kind of stuck in hell. Um, but all the things that he did well, I think really shaped the way that I think about the position, even some smaller stuff. Like I remember there was an example um, I forget who they were playing, but he just did this really weird thing with his foot where like, so most of the time with quarterbacks, you know, if they're trying to open up to a different direction, they have their back foot planted and they're going to move their front foot and kind of hinge that way. Luck, for whatever reason, did this weird thing on this one play just because of where the bodies were in the pocket. He hinged off of his front foot and swung his back foot around to get where he wanted to. And I was like, how do you even think to do something like that on the fly? Because nobody's teaching that. Nobody's like repping that. Just the fact that he could do that to get where he needed to be was fascinating to me. So I would probably say Andrew Luck, yeah. That's super cool. I I wonder, we're to a point in the NFL's development where there's not just one type of quarterback that succeeds. We're, we're seeing quarterbacks have a lot of success and a lot of failures uh, with different play styles. Do you find yourself measuring everyone to an Andrew Luck or have you kind of figured out a way to say you know what like Jalen Hurts is going to win this way Tom Brady's going to win that way I can see the values in both or do you feel like there is look if a quarterback can do this one thing well that that's the standard so I do measure them up to luck but I also realize that that's like a flaw in the way that I view things. Because what that what that ends up happening is like, that's how I end up missing on players like Josh Allen. And I know a lot of people missed on Josh Allen, but like, he was just so incomplete that I was like, there's no way that this guy's going to be that good. And then like another a example on the other end would be like, I didn't really like Malik Willis coming out this year, but I like Desmond Ritter because to me, Desmond Ritter did a lot more of the things that were like, 
calculated, um, just accurate, like sound football play. And to me, that's what luck was. He was just the most like perfectly sound quarterback with enough playmaking that you were like, okay, he can do everything you want him to do. Um, so I think I do kind of have the flaw of comparing every quarterback to that style and wanting them to be that. And so I, I do have some blind spots, but to me, it's kind of just like, I'm willing to take those lumps um, for the sake of like liking the players that I like, if that makes sense. Yeah, man. I mean, if you remove fanhood from it, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. You know, I mean, we want, we want to be objective, but like objectivity at the expense of all else robs the joy of the whole and thing. So I'm going like, to miss on players no matter what, like <laughs> one way or the other, I'm yeah, going you, to You miss. and everyone yeah, else. So like, I might as right. well like have this defined thing that I like, and I, that, like there are like exceptions, like, I do think Lamar was a much better pocket passer than he got credit for. And so I, in my mind, he kind of stacked up to luck in that way. But obviously on the whole, he's a completely different player. But that guy felt to me like an exception. So like that's that's kind of what it is to me. Is like I kind of want all these guys to be in a similar vein to like the kind of pocket passer what that luck was. And then just trying to find exceptions around that. Sometimes I'm right about Lamar. Sometimes I'm extremely wrong about Josh Allen. And I'm just, I'm willing to live with that. <laughs> well, I think, I think you can get in the back of a very long line of people who are wrong <laughs> about Josh Allen. Yours truly included. He, I, I don't think we've ever seen a quarterback develop at the NFL level. I certainly haven't the way that Josh Allen has. So you're, you're forgiven for that. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, since you mentioned Andrew Luck, it, it does remind me of one of my favorite kind of Twitter debates uh, from back in the day, which was Andrew Luck versus Russell Wilson. Now, oh God, I will give you that Andrew Luck is the better quarterback prospect, checked more boxes. I think there's a strong case to be made that Russell Wilson was better during the years that Andrew Luck in the was in the league than Andrew Luck was. Your thoughts? I think if you switch their situations, not one single person would think Russell Wilson was better, which is not a, a hit on Russell Wilson. I still think Russell Wilson is very good and has been like a top 10 quarterback basically the entire time that he's been in the league. I just think that when before the injury started to get to luck, I thought he was a top three quarterback every year that he was in the league, except for like his rookie year. But I mean, no rookie is that good. Um, but I just thought luck was such a special player. And if you put him in Seattle with that situation that they had, I think for sure they get more than one ring because my thing is just like I, I think that's fair russ obviously has the added element of like some of the stuff that he does outside of the pocket especially when he was younger was like unfathomable at the time like they, we you know at the time we didn't really have mahomes allen like he was the guy for that and obviously luck doesn't have that to that degree i just thought like in terms of all of the in-structure stuff um accuracy um ability to handle the pocket, ability to open up the offense to do whatever it wants to do. I just thought Luck was equal or better than than Russ at all of those things. Well, here, here's what I'll say to that point. I think Luck is an infinitely more coach-friendly quarterback than Russell Wilson <laughs> I think is. That is probably true. I, I, th I think you can scheme up anything when you have Andrew Luck, whereas with Russ, you kind of just have to make your peace with Russ being Russ. And, and I, think, I think that Russ at his best is as good as any quarterback on the planet, certainly back when he was more mobile. Um, but 
there were obvious limitations as well. And, and I just didn't see that with, with Andrew Luck. So I appreciate you indulging that. Cause that was, that was like a, a three year rager on the bird that, uh, you know, both Mike and I thought would be fun to revisit. So I almost think it. that's like part of why <laughs> luck was like my favorite guy to watch because I, I, I just felt like I was, it, it just, I don't know. Again, I, I really liked Russ and he was a really good quarterback. It just felt insane that like, it seemed at the time more people thought Russ was the better one. And that to me was like, I think that's what drove me to luck in, in a way. You were just so enticed by Andy Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that, but let, let me ask, let me ask you this. I, I can already tell that you are very honest with your self-assessment. So I'm going to take advantage of that and ask you this. If Russell Wilson was drafted number one overall and Andrew Luck was drafted number two overall instead of Luck number one and Russ in the third round. Would you feel differently about that? I mean, I think the conversation about Russ just would have been a lot different. So it wouldn't have been as as aggravating. But I don't know because, I mean, it's tough because I feel like saying that Russ was protected in Seattle makes it sound like I'm trying to, you know, talk down to him or talk down about him. That's not necessarily what I'm trying to do. I just think that, like, if Russ had had to take on the burden of a top five quarterback, uh, you know, a top five picket quarterback on one of those teams, I do think things probably would have went a little bit different for him. I think he probably would have still been good, but I think to have the early career success that he did, win the Super Bowl, go to another one, if he had landed on that bad of a team, I just struggled to see how that would have happened. Whether that was, you know, the Colts at one or, you know, Washington at two or, or whoever. Sure. Sure. No, I, I can, I can respect that for sure. Uh, I think ranking quarterbacks is like the most fun hypothetical conversation mm -hmm. in sports. So, you know, it's, it's fun to dive into that and, and see what, what could have been, but you know, there's no question. Russell Wilson, benefited from the situation he was drafted into which at the time did not seem like a great situation right Seattle was coming off of back-to-back -back seven and nine seasons and there was a lot of pressure on them to get a different quarterback and in hindsight it's like oh my god what a perfect situation you had a, a generational defense an amazing run game uh, the rules in the NFL allowed for a Tom Cable like prison yard blocking system to work. Uh, you know, all of that stuff did set up, but at the time it looked like he was going to a pretty mediocre team. And, and I do think there's a little bit, uh, I, I think Russ's legacy suffers a little bit unnecessarily in hindsight for saying like, Oh, he just got drafted to this great team and, and kind of coasted on that early in his career. When, when he was drafted there, they were a sub 500 team for three straight years prior to that. So, but yeah, you know, the same thing happened with, with Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady, who are two of the most accomplished quarterbacks of my lifetime. They, they were drafted to teams that ended up having great defenses and ran the ball a lot. There's no question more was put on Andrew Luck's shoulders from the get go. Yeah. I mean like Russ, it's not like Russ didn't give anything back by being on, you know, drafted to a decent team. He it was more just like he got drafted to a team that looked like an NFL team even if they weren't good, they at least looked like an <laughs> NFL team where right. it's like those Colts right. teams, I don't know, man. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. I do think that there is some like a little bit of hindsight. Um, I don't know if it's biased or like hindsight. I don't know. Just stripping him, him of his achievements. Like it did take Russ, you know, being a very good player um, to actually make that team 
what it was. It's just that, yeah. like, yeah, you know, and you know what? I'll actually backtrack a little bit. I would even probably say something similar about um, Lamar. Like, I love Lamar. He was my number one quarterback. But, like, if he gets drafted by not Baltimore, I don't know if he ends right. up winning an MVP. And, like, I'm saying that as, like, his biggest supporter. So I think this is just one of those things where it's just, like, yeah, supporting cast and, and your landing spot means everything. I don't think anybody's winning an MVP like independent of their situation yeah, exactly. you know what i mean like i'm i'm very on the record as john harbaugh being like a top two or three coach for me and he pivoted in the middle of a season from joe flacco which is like the photo negative of a lamar jackson quarterback middle of the season and him and greg roman just drew up a different offense and we're like yeah we're just going to keep winning games with a totally different scheme there are so few teams who are equipped both from a personnel and a philosophical standpoint to pull off something like that. So there's no question Lamar benefited from that, but I, I think that's true of any great quarterback. Yeah. For the most part. And, and that, yeah, that's exactly it. It's just kind of a, I think honestly, the way that landing spots works is like, it doesn't necessarily make or break a player. It's just that like every player has their spectrum of outcomes and the, the landing spot is going to like, Andrew Luck could only be so bad, no matter where he plays. And the same, I think, right. is true even of Russell Wilson. Like, I think even if you put Russell Wilson on the worst team at his peak, they're still probably, like, a pretty competitive team. Um, I think It's so. just that, you know, when you get uh, a landing spot, like, what that Seahawks team became in 2013, yeah. you don't necessarily have to be in the top three to make good on that. You just have to be, like, top ten. Um, and Russ was that year. He obviously was. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And we're going to get to Seattle's current quarterbacks in a minute. But part of today's show also involves the tight ends, a position that is often referred to as the quarterback's best friend. In an offseason full of remarkable trades, none was bigger than the one that sent Russ to Denver. And while that's rightfully the headline, Seattle did receive a pretty prominent haul in the process. Much has been made about Drew Locke coming over in that deal, but the guy I'm most excited about is Noah Fant. What can you tell me about Noah Fant, who was a highish first-round pick a few years ago? It's a position Seattle has long prioritized in the draft and free agency and trades. What is Seattle getting with this guy? Um, I think they're getting what they were hoping they had with Gerald Everett. Um, he's a mm -hmm. really athletic uh, yak monster. That, that's like... I think his selling point. I don't think that's all he's he like is. a freaky athlete. Yeah, he's an insane athlete. I mean, both of those guys coming out of Iowa, him and Hawkinson, were just like unbelievable athletes. But I think with Fant, you see it a little bit more when he has the ball in his hands. Whereas I think um, some other players are just really natural, smooth athletes, and I think part of their athleticism, or at least part of the way that it manifests, is that they have such good like spatial awareness that they're never having to slow down or think about where they're going. With Fant, I think that gets a little tricky sometimes, but I think once he gets the ball in his hand, he's just like, he's unstoppable. Like, he's one of probably the best yak guys at the position in the NFL. Um, he did have some drops, like, early on in his career, but I think that's something he's kind of ironed out. And then I think he's also gotten better in the blocking department. Like, he came, I remember he came out of Iowa, and people were like, well, Hawkinson's the complete guy, and Noah Fant is going to be Eric Ebron. And I think, <laughs> looking back now, like, there's no way anybody would compare uh, Fant to Ebron like I don't think you know Fant is doing what like George Kittle does where he's just burying people and he's like a uh, you know 0.75% of yeah. a tight end 
George Kittle. George Kittle's an yeah, alien, like that's the, the, he's not quite to that degree, but I think George like, Kittle is Aaron Donald on offense. I mean, at his best, yeah, like like the way that he buries people for a guy his size, it just doesn't really compute. And like like I said, Fant isn't quite that level, but I think he's definitely a guy that like if he's out there and he's your only tight end, you still feel really good about running the ball. You can still run behind him. Um, so I think they're getting a guy who can do a lot of things. I think. Um, the more yak threats they can get in this offense, the better with the quarterback situation, both this year and for next year. Cause obviously this year they just don't have great guys. We'll get to that in a minute. And then for next year, um, they're probably going to have a rookie. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I know you? Griff is going to hear this and hear that. I talked bad about Geno Smith. So I'm a little <laughs> scared, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. So we talked about Noah Fant being this tremendous athlete and he certainly is but like, Almost every year, there are tremendous athletes coming out of college at the tight end position. It's a position that attracts that. But for every Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Kyle Pitts, there's a bunch of Mike Gesicki's, John O. Smith's, David Njoku's, guys who break the spark uh, program, you know, with the way they test at the combine and all these things. But what gets overlooked with the tight end position, why I think it takes so long for guys to develop is you have to learn how to be an NFL player at two different positions. Like unless your team's just going to line you out wide and call you a tight end, you have to be essentially a offensive tackle and a wide receiver at the NFL position. When you look at a guy like Noah Fant and especially knowing the premium that Pete Carroll puts on the blocking abilities of a tight end, do you see him thriving in the type of way that, Seattle will commit to is like, Hey, this is our tight end moving forward. Yeah. I don't, I don't see why not. And cause like with Fant, like you said, it, the tight end position is one of the, I think tougher transitions into the NFL. Cause like you said, you're not just learning one position you're learning two. And honestly, it's a little bit more than that because like, so with the wide receiver, when they're navigating space and stuff on that, you know, with all their routes, a lot of the times you're kind of just playing one-on-one on the boundary tight ends. They're having to like, fly through eight different bodies over the middle of the field and stuff. And that can get tricky too, um, especially when the hashes are a lot different than, than college and stuff. So um, I think it's definitely a pretty big transition, but I think Fant, he played well early on um, and has only really gotten better in the NFL. I know last year was a little tricky because, you know, in part because of injuries and stuff, but I think he's a player who like at worst is a fine starting tight end, you know, somewhere in the, in the middle of the pack. Um, and at best, I think he can be one of the, I think he can be in that tier below the elite guys. So I don't think they're going to get a Darren Waller out of this or anything, but I think he can be right in that next tier of like really, really good. And you can, you know, put some of the focal points, points of your offense around what he can do. Dallas Goddard or Noah Fant? Oh, I think Goddard. I, I the, <laughs> okay. the reason, yeah. the reason being is I think Goddard is better when you split him out. Um, I think he's just a little bit bigger and a little bit more of like a, a matchup nuisance. Okay. Okay. Because I will say the, the thing with Fant is I don't think he's particularly good at going up for the ball, at least not in the way that you would traditionally think of as a tight end. Like I said, he's more of a um, space player, whereas I think Goddard can do enough of the space stuff, but is also just like you get it, get him near the ball and he'll find it. He's grimier. A, <laughs> a little bit. So the Seahawks also spent real money to keep Will Disley. They chose him over someone like DJ Reed this offseason. Can you break down the difference between him and Fant and maybe shed some light on why Seattle chose to spend $8 million a year on him? Uh, I mean, I think Disley is also kind of 
a little bit you know he, i think he can be a decent blocker i think he's also a little bit better in the underneath area if you're just trying to like move the chains a little bit in terms of like why they made this personnel decision so i was kind of looking at their depth chart earlier is will disley worse than whoever seattle's wide receiver three is no i'm not yeah i'm not really sure he is and that's why you keep him i, I think that's the reason but are they him. keeping him to be a receiver when you're also picking up the fifth year option on noah fan well no but i think if they want to change the offense a little bit um and protect you know their quarterbacks and try to get a little bit more into this under center stuff i don't think it would be that surprising if they leaned a little bit more into like 12 personnel stuff um and didn't necessarily use them as receivers but like really just leaned into being more of an under center run team um that's kind of what i'm thinking if this is the personnel choices that they're making um i mean if they did make one of their tight ends more of a receiver i do think it would be fant and not disley and then they would just keep disley in line but um i just think it's more of a move that like maybe they didn't feel that good about the receiver market and they were like well we'd rather just keep disley be a little bit different in terms of personnel than a lot of the rest of the league and try to win that way it's also i think it might just be an experiment because like (laughs) this year doesn't really matter for them so they might just be like what does this do for our offense who knows so between trading for Noah Fant and re-signing Uncle Will, it feels like we've lost track of the six foot seven Colossus with flow, better known as Ent Luke Wilson. I'm of course talking about Colby Parkinson. Who, Everyone knew who you were talking about when yes, you said that. Yes, of course. That. Well, it, it's, he's, it speaks for itself. Um, <laughs> I mean, he had some expectations coming onto the team, even though he wasn't drafted very highly. You know, he was kind of a name for a while and he hasn't really done anything but what jackson off the top what are your expectations heading into year three okay i it's hard not to be a little entranced by a six foot seven tight end who never dropped a pass in college like especially if they're going to be focusing on 12 personnel is like totally effective base personnel totally I was super into Colby Parkinson's future until they gave Will Disley $8 million a year and traded for Noah Fant. Is he the Stanford guy? Yeah. He is the Stanford guy. I'm not very excited. <laughs> Wicked smart. I, I, don't, I don't remember, actually. I, I don't know if I've seen that much of him in the NFL. I just remember coming out of college. I wasn't very excited about him. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe that's why they kept Disley around because maybe he just wasn't doing it. Yeah, it's just... Like you, you only get to carry so many guys, and yeah. Know. And I guess if this year's a throwaway anyway, maybe they should have just saw what they had in him. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they just really like Will Disley, and you know, I'll I'll defer to the guys who see him every day. On the, here's the thing: I mean, like Will Disley like blew out his entire lower body twice in two years. I I think if he hadn't done that, I'd be a little bit more excited. But that they're into him. They're into him. Which is fine, but no one is tuning into this episode to spend a ton of time on Will Disley and Colby Parkinson. They are here to talk about quarterbacks, so let's dig into the main course. The vast majority of the commentary surrounding Seattle's new quarterback situation has been pretty negative, and look, I'm not necessarily here to try and dispel that notion. However, I do think both Drew Locke and Geno Smith have shown flashes of what it takes to be decent NFL quarterbacks. Tell us what the upsides to each are, and conversely, what has kept them from being bona fide NFL starters? I'll start with uh, Locke, I guess. Um, so the the good parts about Locke are that I think, at least of the two, I think he has the better arm, and I think he's a better athlete. 
uh i think his best throws are better than gino's like Locke, for the most part has not been very good and we'll get to that part but he still has like one or two throws a game that keep you on they keep you on the hook um and i think there's at least like some degree of excitement to that you know when you know you have a throwaway season getting those couple throws a game especially if they're touchdowns might be might be fun um and i do think like outside the pocket he has a little bit of flair a little bit of fun to him probably not as much as i thought he was going to have coming out of college but i think he'll get a couple of things uh, you know a couple of nice plays outside the pocket um as for the bad with drew lock uh you anytime that he's ever started the offense has just watered down whatever it was compared to the previous quarterback which i think is always a little bit um concerning i think he generally has issues with timing um he's just very much a he has to see what he's reading before it you know before he actually throws it he's not going to really anticipate that a window is going to be there you know he's not going to throw before his receiver crosses past the linebacker he's going to wait to see it happen and then you know he's going to throw into the next window which is you know that's how you run into some trouble with him um he also like the way he handles the pocket is just i don't know he gets very antsy i think is probably the word and that's i think why he ends up outside the pocket um a decent amount um, so when you compare kind of his antsiness with his being late and not always processing very well, you just end up with a lot of really scattered plays and it's hard to have like a consistent down to down offense with him. Um, and that's fine. Some quarterbacks are like that. Kyler Murray's like that. Russ was like that. But they had so many of the good plays that you were like, it doesn't matter if there's a little bit of weirdness. Locke doesn't have like <laughs> 5% of that. <laughs> so uh, that's the problem there. Um, with Gino, I think... I think you're getting a little bit more uh, consistency. You're getting a little bit more. I think the offense can open up to do some certain things because I think Gino can process. Like my problem with just his processing and decision making is just I think there are moments where I don't know if it's like he he doesn't trust himself. He doesn't trust the receiver. He doesn't trust the timing. Something. It just seems like there are too many moments where he doesn't pull the trigger when he could. Um, and maybe that can get fixed if he goes into the year as a starter or gets way more reps than, you know, the week or two that he got when he was starting this year. Um, but that's kind of my biggest problem with Gino. And then also, I do think he kind of has the issue of drifting back in the pocket a decent amount. Um, and that can give him some issues, especially because I don't think his arm is that good. It's like fine, but he's not going to really bail himself out of bad situations because of his arm. So I just think with Gino, you're getting a little bit more stability down to down. I think your quick game is a little bit better than it would be with Locke. Um, and I think you can, I don't know, he just feels like he can be a little bit more consistent. God bless you for taking <laughs> an hour out of your life to talk about Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Truly, I appreciate it. I am curious, however, to know Seattle has two, in my opinion, excellent wide receivers, but two wide receivers who are very different in how they win. Between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, which quarterback serves which wide receiver better? Hmm. I think generally they probably just both better serve Gino because I just, I don't know. I think both of them just, I just feel like there's no way that Locke is going to get either of them the ball enough. Like that's really all it comes down to. Like I just don't think that's, that it's going to happen. And I think the only way to make Drew Locke really, really work is to like fully index into both of those guys being pretty good down the field um, and just 
forcing Locke to do as much of that as you can get away with. I think that could maybe work, but I think if you had Gino in the lineup, you could make both Locke, or Lockett and uh, Metcalf still viable downfield threats. I mean, we saw some of that, like especially in the Saints game when he hit DK down the right sideline. You can still do enough of that, but I think he just opens up all the more, you know, middle of the field stuff, um, yak stuff underneath that, you know, Locke has never really proven to be consistent with to this point in his career. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Geno Smith is the higher floor, lower ceiling player, whereas Drew Locke is the higher variance guy. That is the gist of it, but I would also like frame it like Geno's ceiling is maybe only like 5% lower than Locke's realistically, but his floor is probably like 15% higher. You, you know what I mean? Yep. Those yes. are just random numbers that I'm throwing out, but the <laughs> overall like net difference in their ceiling and floors I, I favors get it. Gino. Ab- yeah. a- absolutely. And, and I feel like for an NFL head coach, protecting the floor is a big deal at the quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's not, let's not forget that Geno Smith bookended his temporary starting gig in Seattle with Honestly, really impressive performances. Obviously, he closed it he, out with he dunking did. on Jacksonville. But did. the first drive that he led of the season was Seattle's best drive of the year. It was it 10 literally plays, was their best drive of the year. Yards. It was literally their best drive. The Against Seahawks. the Super Bowl champions. He was good that game. And here's the thing. Geno fed DK when he started. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like I said, that that like Saints touchdown, I remind I, you know, that came to my brain first. But like in general, I was even watching, yeah, watching back the Geno games uh, recently. Yeah, like you said, he just kept feeding DK. And I think Locke might try to do that, but I just don't. <laughs> I keep saying this, but I just don't trust that he'll be able to actually get the ball there enough to warrant it. Geno's not going to do a lot of things that well, but I do trust that he can actually get the ball to DK enough to make the offense function. And I think that's like ultimately the goal here, at least for the passing game. Yeah, I mean... I... I think it could just be ugly for sure. I I got to think if I'm a mediocre quarterback behind a mediocre offensive line and I've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett like they w- like I mentioned earlier they win in different ways. Tyler Lockett can create separation early better than DK Metcalf does, but I just feel like Metcalf offers a much higher margin for error than Lockett does. And so like every time I play out the season in my mind, it just seems obvious to me that DK is the target hog here. You feel like I'm off base there? No. Cause I, I mean, I think you're right. Like Lockett is a great player. And I do think he kind of, I, if they had a different quarterback, I, I would maybe favor um, Lockett. If they had somebody who a little bit better operated on like being really crisp with their timing and having like very precise, ball placement like honestly if they had like a matt ryan or something i might prefer Lockett in terms of like who is totally agree and stuff a yeah matt like that's R- matt ryan or even to. like a mac jones i feel like yeah i feel like Lockett's the guy oh perfect yeah exactly that's another good example like if, if they had that style of quarterback i think Lockett's strengths would be more accentuated but in terms of like you said having a media mediocre quarterback just a guy who gives you a little bit more margin for error Lockett's a great player, but like DK is bigger and he's a better athlete. It sounds really simple. And it, it, it shouldn't be that simple, but it kind of is like he's just bigger um, and he's a better athlete. And so if you can get him the ball, he's probably going to do more with it. And I think his best plays are generally better than Lockett's. That's that gets a little tricky when you start thinking about all the Russ moon balls. 
uh, right. you know, that they were so good on. But obviously, neither of these quarterbacks are going to provide that. So that kind of waters him down. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, I'm a huge Tyler Lockett guy. I I, I mean, the guy has eviscerated cornerbacks his entire life at whatever level he's played at. And and has always just been knocked because of his size. And he, he's been a top 20 wide receiver in the NFL basically his entire career. But so much of his production has come from these make an NFL commercial out of a Russell Wilson throw insane catch on the back end of it type of plays that frankly, neither Drew Locke or Geno Smith are going to do like Tyler Lockett is so good at those high variance plays. Whereas I, I feel like with DK, it's like, you're just throwing at the side of a barn. You just have like a massive window where the percentage of it being a completion are so much higher than Lockett, who for as amazing as he is, has benefited a great deal from one of the most pinpoint passers in the NFL. Yeah, I almost I'm completely making this up by the way. I almost wonder too <laughs> if like are there fewer interceptions thrown to bigger receivers just cuz it's like harder for a defensive back to get up over it. You know, especially when you're talking about these like mediocre quarterbacks when they're just going to kind of throw it up and just hope for the best. I almost wonder if like that's part of what makes a guy like DK safer than Lockett is like just the area that the receiver is guarding is harder for the defensive back to get over. I feel like that makes sense in my head. I have no idea. If that no, no, no. It, it <laughs> totally does. Like intuitively, I am with you 100%. So one of my favorite stats ever, and of course I'm saying this as someone that follows the Seahawks, but one of my favorite stats ever is there have been two wide receivers or two seasons in history where a wide receiver has had a perfect passer rating when targeted. And it's Tyler Lockett both times. He has two seasons in which the quarterback Jesus. rating when he's targeted is 158.3. And it's Tyler Lockett both times. And so my question is like, don't get me wrong. Tyler Lockett is fucking amazing. Like he's very, very good at what he does. His proprioception is like 100 out of 100. But he's also benefited from the best deep ball passer in the NFL statistically over the last 10 years. And deep ball passes help quarterback rating more than anything else. But like Tyler Lockett has had the two most efficient seasons, arguably in NFL history. It's just interesting to think like, is that because of how good Russell Wilson was on those or, you know, did Tyler Lockett really elevate Russ that much? I think the season will be very illuminating in that regard. I think it's, it's kind of both in a way like I do think Russ obviously helped him that way but Russ probably hurt him in some ways just in terms of not being able to access him early in routes you know yeah, the, totally. as well as as well totally. as other quarterbacks might so like I, I don't know I think it just kind of depends on like what quarterback he's with like I said I think Lockett would probably be really good with a guy like Matt Ryan it would just look way different than it ever did with Russell Wilson. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Totally. I, I agree. I mean, look, Russ, Russell Gage was awesome on a terrible team because of Matt Ryan last yeah. year. You know, he'll be awesome this year again because of Tom Brady. Like, those anticipatory wide receivers really thrive with that type of quarterback. Now, Pete Carroll is notorious for hyping up his guys, which as a fan of the Seahawks, I love. He has talked up Drew Locke as having a bunch of untapped potential while also declaring that Geno has a firm lead in the competition for starter. 
how do you see this thing shaking out? Is Gino the starter week one before he gives it up to Drew Locke? Is it the other way around? Do either of these guys just take the reins and run it through? I mean, I fully believe that Pete Carroll thinks that there's still something there with Drew Locke. Like, I don't think he's lying. I think he might be wrong, but I think he honestly <laughs> believes that, like, this could be some path to something. He's probably not yeah. delusional enough to think that this is like a top 10 quarterback okay. that's being hidden. But. Okay, before we go further, let me step back. What are your views on Pete Carroll? Because I think that's going to inform your commentary on this. I actually love Pete Carroll. Okay. Um, I, I think he's a really good coach that because of the because of the way that we've let the nerds frame the Russell Wilson thing, it has become like this anti, like, you know, Pete Carroll just sucks and doesn't do anything right. And I think that's just like so bizarre and unfounded in so many ways like to have the success that he's had um i think is so impressive and i think especially this offseason really i think also with last season the way that he's now like changing up his defense to to kind of mold with the modern nfl like i just think he's a really good coach um and i think just because people have been a little bit mad about the whole you know oh the offense always goes back to being under center and just running the ball and it's like well look who they had behind center like that was just kind of what he thought was the best way to do it and i think for the most part it was um obviously this current situation at quarterback is a lot worse than having to you know make do with russell wilson but um i I don't know i I think russ i think pete is a good coach and i think you know people just people are too hard on him i think okay okay so let me reframe that question now that i've heard that because i i generally agree here's the thing i've often said I fucking love Pete Carroll Monday through Saturday, and I really struggle with Pete Carroll on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) And I love Pete Carroll February through August, and I struggle with Pete Carroll last, call it five years, September through January. So all, all of that being said, if I had to reframe my initial question, if you had to bet, you're going to get a million dollars if you get this exactly right. How many games does Geno Smith start? How many games does Drew Locke start? And what are the chances of neither of them being the guy? Hmm. I will say Geno starts like 13? Uh, okay, you're... the other four, I guess. I think I think Gino's the guy. I think he's yeah. going to be the guy eventually. Um, so if that's the case, how does Drew Lock get four games? Either Pete tries to just you know force him into the lineup early and just to see what he has, um, because they know that this is like a wasted year. Uh, and I do think Pete is obviously smart enough to know that. Um, and I think, like I said earlier, I think he genuinely believes there is something there with Lock. So I think he probably wants to try it out. I just think it's going to go poorly and he's going to realize this is not the way to win football games and like truly evaluate the rest of the roster. And that's how eventually Locke will, will lose the job. Maybe only four games is like not enough, but I just generally feel like he's not going to be able to maintain this. The only argument I could see that Locke is good is like maybe just for whatever reason in Denver, he really actually never was welcome. And there is some sort of like tone change with him in Seattle that is obviously like hyper optimistic and I don't believe that but if there is some sort of change it would be that I just like I said I don't think that's actually gonna happen in an alternate universe where David Tepper knows how to exercise even a smidge of restraint 
and <laughs> Baker Mayfield somehow ended up on the Seahawks roster, how many games would he have started out of this group? <laughs> I love this question. I love as this. many as many until his uh, shoulder labrum or whatever fell apart again. So that, ba- that would be Baker question. is ba- So what you're saying is Baker Mayfield is clearly better than Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think okay, Baker's thank any you. good I anymore. Agree. But... I agree strongly. <laughs> yeah, I think I think with Baker, it wouldn't make this team good or, like, competitive, really. <laughs> but they could win, like, eight games and, like, be annoying. I think it's a little tougher with these two. So then what's your – with Gino with Gino at the helm, what is your what is your over-under win project, projection for the season? Please say six. I got a lot I of money I was literally about to say six. Yeah, I'm not go. even kidding you. Let's go. Let's go. I'm not making my mortgage payments in February if they don't win six games. All right. Okay. All right. Okay, so we've been talking about 2022, which – Look, I might get killed for this. I don't really give a shit about 2022 the second they traded Russell Wilson because they're not competing for a Super Bowl. And because of Russell Wilson, we have been trained to see things through a Super Bowl lens. So I'm looking at this from a downstream perspective. It is my opinion. It is my hope that neither of these guys are the starter in 2023 which is why I'm not overly caught up in which guy wins the starting job this year. That being said, Derek, if you had to handicap the odds of a given guy being the Seahawks starter after the season, I'm talking 2023 and forward, would it be one of these two, a current NFL starter elsewhere, or a draft pick? I would bet everything on it being a draft pick, honestly. Yeah, I do too. <clears throat> like, I just, I, I for sure don't think it's going to be either of these two. Um in terms of the veteran market, I don't know who is supposed to be available. Um, even just in terms of like trade targets, the first quarterback that I can think of that might get traded next offseason if something goes wrong is Kyler Murray, but they're not going to trade him in the division. So that's right, clearly off right. the table. Also, Pete probably doesn't want somebody that's like similar to Russ anyway. No, <laughs> no he's not trying to run that back. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely I was going to say, not. you know, there's a pretty enticing guy that's uh, over there in Denver. Who knows? Maybe they pull the trigger on that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I mean, the only <laughs> other thing I can think of is like, I don't know. Like, I don't think Jimmy's going to happen. Like, I, I just no, think no, it's no, probably no. going to be a after After this year, like, here's the thing. Pete Carroll is like 120 years old. He's not He's not going to move. He's going to do one year with Drew Locke and or Geno Smith. And then he is taking a fucking shot at the moon. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's not going to do a Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not going to do any of these middle of the pack guys that might be available. I, I think he's looking for a swan song quarterback. So I'm I'm with you. I am hoping for, and I would be betting on it being a quarterback in the draft next year. Since you are a guy who follows uh, college quarterbacks very closely, is there one in the 2023 class, which is a insanely hyped quarterback draft class? Is there someone in there that you're like, this is a Pete Carroll guy. This is the guy that can send him off on a Super Bowl championship. It's hard to know if they want to kind of keep the general structure of what I think Waldron's offense is supposed to be. Then honestly, somebody like uh, Will Levis, 
probably makes a lot of sense. I'm just saying that is like I don't think they're going to be able to get Stroud or Young. Probably win, you're saying they'll win too many games to get those guys. Probably. Oh, he's um, taking the over, hitting the uh, over. Hey, let's <laughs> yeah, go. Exactly. Jackson's getting paid, baby. Jackson's getting paid. Um, so I think they probably won't be able to get one of those guys. Of the two, I think Stroud probably makes a little bit more sense um, for what they might want to do. But yeah, besides that, I would say probably Levis. Um, I kind of like Tyler Van Dyke from Miami a little bit. Um, he, he needs to like be better this year than he was uh, last year. But also last year, he was a redshirt freshman. And he looked like he knew what he was doing for a redshirt freshman, which is really impressive. So, um, And he's a guy who plays like he's got a lot of he he plays like he's got he, he has nuts like that dude just does not care about like window like he will throw the damn ball where it needs to go um and he will make it work um and i think that Pete carroll probably appreciates that kind of player um so i don't know those are probably the two guys i'd be looking at at, at the risk of being memed here i love a qb with big nuts and dude uh, yes yeah you know what i'm saying like i'm not i'm not like trying to be vulgar or whatever but like you're out here to win a fucking super bowl like throw the ball make a play <laughs> who gives a shit about going 10 and 7 like i want a guy that can win a super bowl the first guy you, you mentioned van dyke but the first guy that you mentioned was will Levis. for those listening who are less familiar with him what is it about him that makes you think he could be the guy for seattle um, I will start by saying that he is very similar to Ryan Tannehill, I think. He's a guy who is going to stand in the pocket. Um, he has a really good arm. Like, he can rip it to the sideline. He can just, you know, drive on, like, deep posts and stuff like that. Um, all of the deeper, you know, everything that you can imagine, like, what a route off of a play-action concept would be, he's wonderful at all of those things, just in terms of um, his timing, arm strength, accuracy, all of that. Um, I think he's a pretty good athlete, like not a guy you're going to want to run all the time. But if you want to do boot stuff and like have him maybe be outside the pocket a little bit, I think he can do all of that. And then I think he's just, at least to this point in his college career, he's shown that he's, I don't think he's a fantastic processor, but I think he very clearly gets the basics of like how to run through a progression, how to stay on time, that sort of stuff, how to get to the backside. Um so I think he generally is going to come in with like a fairly high floor that Pete Carroll is probably going to want to work with. So I just think between all of those things, um, he probably makes a lot of sense for them. I do think he can be a little, you know, we just said we like quarterbacks to play with big nuts. I think he can be a little stubborn at times. You know, I think he can be a little overzealous. Um, but I think I'd rather have a quarterback who has that problem and you try to work them down than a guy who just is a little bit scared. And you have to work him back up, which I think is mostly impossible. So that would kind of be my framing for him. Here's the thing. It is, in my opinion, and what do I know? I'm just some guy. But in most pursuits in life, and I think this is very true for quarterbacks, it is much easier to raise a person's floor than it is to raise their ceiling. Like some guys just have talent that other people don't have. And no matter how hard you practice or train or whatever. If a guy with more talent practices and trains just as hard, they're going to beat you. And I want that guy with that high ceiling. That's kind of who he is. Like just as a passer, like he just, I mean, his arm strength is just so good. And like I said, I think he's already coming in with a high enough floor for a rookie quarterback. You know, I don't think he's going to be this guy who is like 
completely strip him down and, and build him back up the way that like you know I thought Malik Willis was or something like that I don't think it's going to be that type of problem so like I don't know you have a quarterback who has a big arm he's a big athlete um like just in terms of like physically like his size I think he's going to be able to, to take a lot of hits and stuff and then just the way he plays like his overzealousness I really think he can be something like Brian Tannehill um and I think we all think of Ryan Tannehill now in like the Tennessee framing, but like I think people forget he was kind of good in Miami before. I he love got Ryan laid. Tannehill. I I am like on record as being a Ryan Tannehill guy. Like I would take Ryan Tannehill. The the the, the Seahawks could be like a a winning team with Ryan Tannehill. I don't think he's like a great quarterback, but like they could be a winning team with, with Ryan Tannehill. And, yeah. And don't, so, don't get me wrong. I'm not like conflating him with Tom Brady or anything. Right. I'm right, just, right. Right. I'm just saying like of guys who the general consensus thinks like, Oh, he's not that great. I'm kind of that way with Kirk cousins too, even though I think he's a totally like an absolute weirdo freak of a person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, these are guys who are better in real life than the perception of them are. And like, you could do a whole lot worse if you're going to build a great team than someone who's the next Ryan Tannehill. Exactly. And like, I I don't know. I just, I I really like the fit there. Like, especially if they're going to keep up, you know, whatever this structure of the offense is, I just think what he brings makes so much sense. And really it's like, I think that's also partly rooted in like, as soon as they traded Russell Wilson, it seemed to me like, Oh, the most logical fit is like, well, after the draft, when Tennessee drafted Malik Willis, the most logical thing was like, what if Seattle tried to trade for Ryan Tannehill? Obviously, we're a little bit over that hill. Right. Um, but working back from that same framing, it's like, well, why not go draft the guy that kind of reminds you of Ryan Tannehill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got it. Okay. All right. One last question before we wrap this thing up. If this just goes terribly and... Jackson has to sell his house because he bet it all on the Seahawks winning six plus games. In reality, they win three and they got the number one overall pick. Who are you taking? Uh, oh, it's so hard. Will Anderson because Pete Carroll can't help himself. Oh my God. Honestly. Oh my gosh. Shut up. Okay. Okay. Is this really a two person conversation between young and Stroud? Like for quarterbacks or generally? Uh, your pick uh i think for quarterbacks it kind of looks that way now i think i'm willing i think it's possible that one of the other guys whether it's levis mckee uh van dyke like i think it's possible somebody could rise into that area but i think for now it's probably stroud and young um and the problem is i think young is the better player like if i just listed out all of the things that he's good at Versus the things that I think Stroud is good at. On the Andrew I, Luck scale, if Andrew Luck is 100, rate those two guys. Oh, no. Uh, I guess prospects. I mean, Stroud is probably like an 85 and Young is like a little bit higher than that. Um, it's just the problem with Young is like he's going to be the smallest, frailest quarterback in the NFL by a lot. And that's horrifying and i think that pete is probably not going to draft the player sure, like that sure that's why I, I think that he would not do it so i guess i have now worked myself into like if they have the first overall pick just take stroud i will say i have like a couple of reservations with stroud but i think he's definitely good enough and i think that's more of just like a i think if he plays another year i'll work past it it'll be fine yeah yeah because i had re- i had some reservations with fields going into his final year but then I loved Fields by the time that he was out of college. So I think something similar could happen here. Okay. Am I crazy 
for thinking that like yes the Seahawks. If the Seahawks do win like six or seven games, am I crazy for thinking that like Anthony Richardson is a great Pete Carroll quarterback? Listen, I am I am a reformed Gators fan who thinks that only bad things can come from Gainesville at this point. <laughs> so until Anthony Richardson even halfway looks like a quarterback, I'm not gonna do this dance. He's thrown like fifty passes. I know. <laughs> I know, but he's like Cam Newton, man. Well, I hope <laughs> maybe I'll be a, not a reformed fan anymore. Maybe I can be a real. Yeah, I was fan gonna say, how game, reformed but... are we talking here? Um, I, I, I don't know if I've watched a game since. Uh... Hmm. You don't even have to answer. I can tell that that's self care, right there. Yeah, <laughs> I for sure didn't the last two seasons. I think. I don't right, know about fair beyond enough. That. Fair enough. Let let a guy dream. <laughs> Listen, and this has been an amazing conversation. I am incredibly grateful for your time, Derek. Tell the folks listening where they can get more of you. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. This was a blast. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at QB Class. That's class with a K. Um, I do work for Football Outsiders. I do some NFL draft stuff for Bleacher Report. Um, I'll be doing you know quarterback skill positions, all that stuff for them. Um, and then for Football Outsiders, actually, we just dropped the Almanac. You can get it either online if you want, or you can get it uh, the print version on Amazon, or you can just go straight to our site and you can find it there. So, As someone who buys the Almanac every year, it is, as a football fan, it is literally the best dollars that I spend every year. Like, save up, <laughs> set aside the money to get that, because the way that it prepares you to watch NFL football in the upcoming year is crazy. It's crazy how it affects it. And it's so cool to talk with someone who's, who's a part of that. So uh, those of you who are hearing this, follow this man on Twitter, read his shit on football outsiders. He will make you a smarter football fan, which is, I think the goal of all of this, you're not listening to this podcast unless that's part of what you're trying to accomplish in the meantime. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J A C S O N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling Jackson. Mike is at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fuelgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five star rating and leave us a quick review. We feel extremely blessed to have your support as the show continues to grow. It's really been amazing to see how quickly that has happened. Y'all show that not just by tuning in, but by leaving those reviews and sharing on social media. We appreciate it more than you know. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. <laughs>